The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's up guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, episode 75. Today is the final chapter in Ain't No Messiah. Hopefully you've been enjoying that audiobook. Uh, if you haven't heard it yet, you go back the last 23 weeks or so. Uh, all the chapters are on there for free, or you can pick it up on iTunes, Audible, all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, hopefully you guys are enjoying it. I had a lot of fun writing this ending. Had some really cool reviews uh, comparing it to a Tarantino-type ending. Uh, so I'm not going to ruin anything. That's at the end of the episode. Um... But right now, I'm just going to bullshit for a little bit, tell you what's up. I got a little break. My uh, school started, uh, so I've been a little bit busy with that. But, man, I've just been working like crazy, getting a lot of shit done. Super productive. Um, I hit both of my goals. Well, I had a, I challenged myself, and I took some bets um, where cannabis, a month of cannabis was on the line. So if I lost, I wasn't going to be able to smoke weed for a month. Uh, so that was extra good motivation for me. Um, so, but the goal was, I was at 228 on July 4th, July 5th, and I made up my mind to get to 205. Not sure how I was going to do it and hadn't cut weight like that ever before. Um, and every time I try, I fail. So this morning I was 206.4. Tomorrow I will be 205. So I hit that goal. Uh, the second goal was to finish all the death scenes in Try Not to Die in the pandemic. And we just got our brand new mask design. So can release that which is awesome um but anyhow uh trying to die in the pandemic i was working on all these death scenes and jesus it was uh pretty brutal lots of the time i'm wondering whether this can be considered a ya because uh, it's pretty graphic um but it's also kind of a sweet story and a nice kid and so it's a it's a cool blend uh john palisano is the one who created the story and now i'm doing my take on it and together we're blending into something which is going to be pretty cool. Uh, he had the perfect description of it the other day. I think he said, uh, I'm going to ruin it. Uh, so I'm not even going to bother. I will look it up and then maybe I'll share it in the next episode. I'll probably forget all about it, but we'll see. Um, so anyhow, that's exciting. I finished them all. I didn't know if I was going to be able to. He's already turned around and given back to me. So that is going to be going to the editor very soon. Uh, and we want to launch that contest. We're going to have a huge contest for that um, probably mid-October. I'm not sure the start date. So we're rushing this to get it uh, exactly how we want. And then just the ebook will be released with the big contest. Uh, and we'll go for that. I'll give you more details on that. But if you're into reading, if you're into horror, action, adventure, um, I could pretty much guarantee that this book would be the equivalent of, uh, I don't know, the most exciting hour you'd ever spend on a cruise ship. So anyhow, that's coming up. Hit that goal too. So I'm excited. Um, and I think a big part of the being more productive is the fact that I'm, I mean, shit, maybe it's because I'm spending so much of my time not wanting to think about food and uh, and all that. But I don't think so. I think it's uh, just made me more productive. Uh, and I'm feeling good, so I'm going to stick with it. Um, I'm going to enjoy food tomorrow. But uh, I think within a couple of days, I'll go back to the intermittent fasting and and just slowly cut off, cut out weight. Uh, I definitely still have a lot more I can take off. I uh, just want to be healthy. So 
that is the goal. Um, but on to what else do I have? Oh, holy shit. You know what my son is obsessed with? Minecraft. And it's gotten ridiculous. But, alright, so what, a, like, I told him, I was like, if you're going to have a, a bad habit, then let it be that. I, I've got much worse ones and, and have had much worse. So I was like, there's a lot of good stuff about Minecraft. He, he loves building stuff. We've built some cool stuff together uh, until I get too bored. I'm like, dude, I just can't do this. Uh, but that's all he wants to do is watch uh, YouTubers about it. He'll learn something. Um, and so what I had him start doing is like, okay, after you watch a video, write down what you learned. It doesn't have to be complete sentences, but give me a couple ideas. Draw something to let me know what you were learning about, and then go try to implement it in the game. And he's been doing that. Uh, he doesn't always do the drawing or the writing, uh, but he uh, he's learning a lot. He's putting into the games. We're actually talking about uh, doing a Try Not to Die in Minecraft. Now, that's an unofficial name. Who knows if we'll even write the book, but that's what I'm telling him. And the cool thing is, that gets him creating with me when he didn't want to create before. He didn't want to write a story with me. But I'm, when I'm telling him, I'm like, hey, man, this is for the video game. This is so you can build our game. And uh, he has already so many cool ideas for what to do uh, for all these death scenes um, for trying to die in Minecraft, which he wants to build. So I was like, that's cool. We can connect on a different level. And it was just awesome yesterday to spend about 30 minutes with him just telling me stories about these characters and what they're doing we're trying to figure out what the whole quest is and all that stuff so um i've been wanting to do something with him for a while i didn't know it was going to be like this but whatever it doesn't matter what the story is about like we're he's using his imagination he's learning how to tell a story so that's cool and i'm having fun doing it um so if we're gonna have to listen to minecraft i'd rather do it in create a story mode all right all right all right um oh maybe next week i don't want to talk too much today but next week we're going to talk about my weird uh, my weird choice in music when I play acoustic. Uh, lately I've been trying to teach myself uh, bass. Uh, my daughter got one. I kind of got of her thinking she wasn't going to like it because she's just picked up the electric guitar. And she prefers that. So I've been playing bass a lot. Uh, and on that I'll usually do um, either Tool or ACDC. I do it all in Musician. And so whatever songs they have on there. But generally something heavier. Um... But when I play acoustic guitar, I find myself playing some just stuff that's, I would never listen to it. Like I would never put it on. Like I still won't put it on right now to listen to it, even though I like playing it. Um, but I won't admit who those people are yet, because uh, yeah, it's kind of sad. Because I was about to talk about my next thing, which is I'm finally going to be starting my month of metal inspired fiction. Um, I was gonna call it horror, heavy metal inspired horror. That sounds a lot better, right? Uh, but I, I don't just write horror. I also write uh, like dystopian science fiction, suspense, cover a wide range. I'm not limited to just horror. Um, but the whole month, so one day, uh, each day of the month, I will do a little video and a blog about a certain band, a song, uh, something that really influenced my writing. Um, like in Twisted Reunion, I start that book off with a quote by Slayer for the epigraph because it's, and, and a reviewer just uh, put that in her review about it starting with that. She's like, that's a warning. I was like, exactly. I was like, that should tell you something about what's coming ahead. Um, but all these bands have been huge influences on my writing. Lots of, uh, I'll be talking about lots of short stories that were created. I even use the same name, like Five Minutes Alone. So maybe I'm just very unoriginal. 
but uh, to me it's more like it's a nod to uh, all these bands and a thank you for everything they've done for me. So how much they've influenced me as a person and how much they've influenced my writing. So definitely a lot of that. We'll be hearing about Machine Head. That's one of the big ones. Um, the epigraph for Brightside starts with a Machine Head quote and I just applied to get um, permission to use one of their quotes uh, for Beyond Brightside, which is about to come out. So haven't heard back from them, but hopefully that will happen soon. Um, but yeah, a lot of different bands. So it'll be 30, I'm gonna do 30 days in a row. Um, right now I have 25, I need to figure out some other ones, but there'll be some cool ones. Um, and the first one's a little bit strange. First one's gonna be Brian Posehn. Um, I don't know, he's a funny dude. Probably a lot of people don't realize uh, or recognize him as a musician, and uh, but I've I've enjoyed his music. Uh, even picked up his book, Forever Nerdy. Now I need to read it because he is going to be the first band for this uh, month of metal. Um, yeah, that's weird selection, right? But it's because of his song More Metal Than You. Uh, that song is pretty funny. It's just kind of what I'm doing. I'm saying I, I'm more metal than all you other authors out there. Uh, maybe I'm not. Maybe you guys proved me wrong. So if you're more metal than me, then bring it on. But that's why I'm starting with Brian. Uh, and I also will talk a little bit about um, his new album, uh, Grandpa Metal. There's some cool songs on there. Uh, my son loves uh, What Does the Fox Say. Uh, he doesn't listen to any other ones. I also mention why you shouldn't listen to to it with your 12-year-old uh, daughter. Uh, I, what was it? Uh, I forget what this song was, but completely inappropriate. And I should have known. I shouldn't have had it on in the car, but we laughed about it afterwards. So anyhow, he will be the first person I highlight on this blog type thing. Uh, yeah, hopefully you guys are going to dig it. Hopefully you'll come on and tell me what songs you like the most from those bands and have a little conversation. But that's completely up to you. You could just be a total, um, maybe you don't even like metal. Hmm. I don't even know we should be friends. But whatever. Um, bump, 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 bump. There's something else I was going to talk about. But I'm kind of tired of talking. And I'd rather get some work done. I have to go over those edits, make sure all the death scenes are very terrifying. Um, yeah, some of them are pretty brutal. I actually got sick the other day. Uh, I think I might have mentioned that already. God damn head trauma. Makes me forget everything. So sad. Oh, last thing. Just remembered it. Just came up. Uh, my daughter just finished reading Carrie. Uh, I talked before about how I wanted to read, reread all of Stephen King's books. Um, I've read most of them, or all of them, up until like 10 or 15 years ago in a couple cents. Uh, but I went ahead and made sure I got them all. Started with Carrie, just read that. Uh, talked about it a little bit last week. But my daughter just finished, so tomorrow we'll do like an official daddy-daughter review of Carrie. Uh, and then she's going to jump on Salem's Lot, which I'm on right now. Um, I still don't know whether or not I'm going to read them all. I don't know how much, I don't know. I know the stories, they're awesome, I love them. Um, not every one of his books I love, but overall, like, fucking awesome. Stephen King. Uh, is, I'm, I know a lot of people don't like him, but he's been a giant influence on my writing. Um, so, anyhow... But even that, I don't know if I want to reread the books because you only have limited amount of time. Like, why should I be reading something new or something by friends? Or uh, so, do I really want to do it? So we'll see. Maybe I'll get through them all. Maybe not. If she ends up liking Salem's Lot and wants to read the next one, 
then cool. I, I'm I'm with her. I'll read each one with her, and that way we could discuss everything and uh, just get her take on it. So that's coming up too. A lot of shit going on. Busy day, and my family's about to be home. <sighs> All right, guys. No, I'm happy. I I love my family. So I hope you do as well and that you're not trying to murder them because you're all fucking locked in one place. Anyhow, I'm going to go. Uh, that metal thing won't start until September 1st. So September 1st, I'll start releasing that uh, whatever daily shit. And uh, yeah, but otherwise, if you haven't done so already, and you should have, uh, please subscribe to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Help spread my stuff. I'm an independent author. I need your help please. No, don't feel like you have to. I'll be all right. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Here's Ain't No Messiah chapter, what is it? 24, the finale. All right. Hope you enjoy it. Later. Chapter 24. The strip is all headlights and torches. A hundred thousand flashing phones. All the casinos north of us turn their lights off out of respect, possibly fear of retribution. Some might not consider retaliation a Christian virtue, but only those who haven't read the lost gospels. It's too dark to see the cemetery anymore, but I have the memory from this morning. Danielle already heard the speech, but I wanted to practice. I read it to her and Lily, trying so hard to keep it together. Picturing what little remains of my baby girl piled on top of her mother, ignoring the paparazzi outside the gates with their cameras, people yelling at me to save them, stop being a selfish bastard. One motherfucker even pegged the back of my head with a rock. I swivel my throne around and face the empty church, Jeremy waiting out in the hall with the first group. Up on the screen is a live newscast. They're calling it an unofficial report, but trusted sources are telling them the Messiah vote is nearly tied, too close to say which way it will go. They even included the phone number at the bottom. The special report goes back to our program, Father and Paul standing tall in front of the church's main entrance, Troy holding the candle. I give the command, and Troy opens the door, escorts them in after Jeremy hurries through with the camera. Jeremy backs down the aisle ahead of the dynamic duo with their matching black suits and powerful strides. They'd already been instructed what to do, but Troy takes no chances and ushers them into the first pew in the middle. The only one that father hand-carved, the one that came from the tree that almost killed me. Darren, who's helping Jeremy with the filming comes in from the side entrance, his camera capturing Father's smile as he slides into the pew. Jeremy says, The Messiah requests everyone kneel. They get down on the kneeler. Father's grimace making me a little giddy. I bet he wants to ask why we remove the cushions. But he's a smart guy. I'm sure he'll figure out that's what's good enough for the Messiah is good enough for them. The screen switches to an outside shot, the sound of fire crackling, electric flames reaching halfway up the building. It won't be long now. Jeremy gives Troy a nod at the bottom of the staircase and heads up, his camera's off and by his side, no one filming him, 
but he's walking with a purpose, a professional taking this moment seriously. All those crucifixes and the money we would have made were lost with the lives. But instead of saving his own ass and getting on the plane, Jeremy stayed by my side. The four months I was in the hospital, he provided his own guard to watch over me, keeping a close eye on Father's guards to make sure they didn't try anything. Since my release three weeks ago, I've been living at his house, both of us waiting for a drone strike or some kind of attack. If I can't trust Jeremy, I can't trust anyone. On the right armrest, there are three buttons. I press the first and tell Jeremy the door's unlocked. He comes in, closes it behind him. I hit the second button that turns off the audio, cutting us off from the people on the other side of the glass. Jeremy sets the camera on the edge of the altar, probably not even thinking how much it must piss Father off. He reaches into his suit and says, I've got something for you. I say, me too, and pour him a drink, set it on top of Father's Bible, then fill mine back up. Father and Paul are the only ones looking our way, but they can't see the massive silver revolver Jeremy's cradling like a baby. He says, it's a forty-four Magnum. Six hollow points. Bought and loaded them myself. Perfect. Jeremy sets the gun on the altar between the remote and the Bible. Dude, how much have you had to drink? What's it matter? We want to get this shit right, don't we? We will. So you're cool? Super. I nodded his glass. Come on. One drink won't kill you. Jamie says I'm right, clinks my glass, holds it high. Here's to you. And to you. I set mine down after a sip, but Jamie keeps going. His glass comes down empty, his eyes so goddamn sad. He says, no sappy bullshit, right? That was our rule. He takes a deep breath and rolls his neck in a full circle before blowing it out. Okay. Let's do this. Jamie picks up the camera and turns it on. Radio's Hank, who's hanging out in the back. Only play the video, starting in five, four. The camera is zoomed in on the gun, the six-inch barrel running the length of the screen. Flames crackling in the background, a mounting roar pouring through the speakers The chance recharged. Jamie says, Josh, stand and put your hands on the altar. He beats me to my question and says, Just grip the edge. My equilibrium's a bit off, but it seems most of my pain's gone. Like this? Fuck yeah. He zooms out and the gun's just inches from either hand. The mass is screaming their approval. The screen switches to Darren's feed. Father and Paul, excited eyes glued to the screen above them. Jeremy says, go ahead and pick it up. I don't carry mine anymore, no longer see the point. I used to think a gun might save my life, but even if it could, there'd be just one more reason not to have one. Jeremy asks again, so I grip the black handle, raise it, thinking it's heavy, then remembering I'm just so goddamn weak. Go ahead and have a seat, but hold it over your heart, barrel out by your shoulder. 
I'm glad to sit, wonder if Jamie sees me shaking. Here, Jamie says, handing me my drink. He backs up a bit, looks through his viewfinder. Nice. This is awesome. Hank, in ten seconds, cut back to me. Jamie snaps his fingers. All right, here we go. Sit up straight. I'm tired and just want to get this over with. I don't really move much. You're not some pussy messiah. Sit up. Let's show those fuckers who's boss. It hurts a bit, but I spread my shoulders, stick out my chest, hold my head high. His red light pops on, the screen showing the Bible and bottle on top of the altar. The camera creeps up and zooms out, shows me in all my glory, a body and mind that's been through hell, supposedly preparing me for heaven. Again, the crazy yells, the shrieks, the calls for me to fucking do it. I ask, can we cut that? Jamie hits a button and the screen jumps back to father with his worried look that only I know is complete bullshit. Jamie pulls out his phone and starts setting the camera on the altar. I scream, no! And leapt from the throne, knocked the camera at him. Jamie drops it and says, what the fuck? The pain hits hard, rips through my whole body. I grimace, nod at the tiny remote he almost crushed. His face loses some color, but he forces a laugh, looking back at me. Jamie says, Shit, you okay? I want to answer, but can't. He slides around the altar and helps me back on my throne. He says, Take your time. The back of my hand wipes away the tears that crept through. I say I'm okay, and Jamie shows me his phone, flips through each of our accounts, pointing out all the likes and shares and followers. He pats my shoulder. No pressure. We've got the entire world watching. This is fucking history. There ain't a kid in the world that's ever going to forget this. I say good like I really mean it and switch to channel three, which shows Charles 316 now past 99%. He faces the screen and smiles. I'd say your trusted sources are paying off. Wait. I switch to channel four. Can't believe my eyes. Holy shit, it's more than doubled since I last checked. Jamie just stands there, mouth open. That's in dollars? Well, it ain't fucking pesos, amigo. That gets another smile. Jamie radios Hank. Take us outside for a minute, but play the music. The flames are licking the arms of the blinding cross, the outline of my face emerging from the fire. I use the armrest to get up, and I look Jamie dead in the eyes. Thank you. For this. For everything. Jamie wraps both arms around me and squeezes tight. Messiah or not, you are always my brother. Neither of us say the word love, but I know it's there. I break off the hug and say, I'd feel better if you left. He shakes his head. Well, tough titty, said the kitty. You can't make me. I'm not leaving. I sit back on my throne. Fair enough. Then I guess it's about time to bring in the others. Jamie passes the message to Hank and readies his camera, steps outside the door to film the nine individuals walking down the main aisle in three rows of three. I can't see that far and turn to the screen. Six black suits and three red shirts headed our way. The black suits are father's guards one on each side of our special guests in the red button-downs with their hands behind their backs. 
of the gods, Janet, Daryl, and Raymond are the ones I dealt with the most, but all six have been entrusted with my safety. I'm paying them for each five times their hourly rate for an unarmed assignment and a guarantee of permanent employment if Father doesn't agree with what I ask of them. If I didn't know who our guests were, I'm not so sure I'd recognize them. Part of it's my memory, part of it's the bruises. Part of it's the white gags tied around their head and spreading their cheeks back in a distorted, painful smile. Yuri's first and the least banged up, falling for Jeremy's promise he'd have all the fame and money he'd ever want if he accepted my apology in Vegas. Raymond and Kent direct Yuri into the second row, shuffling him down so his handcuffs don't show as they walk in the pew directly behind him. Rick, my old boss from Arizona, had put up a fight and gotten both eyes battered shut. Daryl and Greg each have an arm looped inside his, staying that way as all three of them scoot down the pew until Greg is beside Yuri. Last up is William and Janet, setting Tommy at the end of the pew. I hadn't known Tommy's name until yesterday, but I'll always remember his coked-up eyes when he bent Beth over his desk, gun aimed at my face, me on my knees. Now his eyes are just burning with rage. His gag, the only thing keeping him smiling. Jeremy suggested the gags so there wouldn't be any problems with our audio. But I had agreed to them so I wouldn't snap. I don't care if it was a curse or an apology. If I heard a word from any of them, I'd erase their brain with a bullet. My screens synced with theirs, the cross, a brilliant white diamond slicing through the flames. My face morphs in and out of the fire, faster and faster before it solidifies, the shouts from outside coming through the glass. Jeremy motions for Darren to take over filming below and comes back in the sanctuary, camera on me. He asks, You ready? I nod, my focus on Father and Paul, who are only sort of kneeling, their butts propped on the pew's seat. The command is for everyone, but I stand and stare directly at them. The face on the building is live, Jeremy's program making my voice even deeper and darker as it's amplified inside the church and across the city. Everyone, on your knees, kneel before your Messiah. Paul looks shocked, father furious, but they both fix their posture. The second row stays seated until Daryl and Greg link arms with all three prisoners, bringing them onto the kneeler that is nothing more than a strip of metal, both the cushion and wood removed. Raymond moves into the aisle and kneels beside Yuri, places a hand on his shoulder. Janet does the same on the other end with Tommy. I don't know if he heard something or saw Darren's concern, but Father glances behind him. He shouts at the guards that used to be his. What is going on? No one says a word, so he spins back around, his hand on the front of the pew. Joshua, what is the meaning of this? The screen cuts to the crowd outside, the majority on their knees, the fire crackling louder than before, keeping it so only the people inside could hear. I say, It's a lesson you taught me. Watch, and you'll be proud. There's that flicker of faith, 
that light that's kept him bouncing back from all the disappointments. My face burns on the building, but I redirect my eyes, stare into the lens. I tell Jeremy, let's do it. He gives me the go-ahead, and I begin. I was born dead 30 years ago, and I've been given death the middle finger ever since. Some say it's because I have a higher purpose. Some say it's so I can fulfill my destiny, so I can save the world when all seems lost. Many believe that today is the day. This is the day the Messiah finally accepts his role the day I cast judgment on both the living and the dead. I pause to catch my breath, reeling the anger. Insane screams fill the air outside. I've had one true teacher in my life, and today he kneels before me, Charles Campbell. I intentionally left off the Almighty, and all the other names he'd made for himself, but even without it, the crowd roars for him. Three cheers for the puppet master. Charles knew I was the Messiah the moment he heard me scream from the grave. When no one would listen, he would only preach louder, demanding attention and risking ridicule. He dedicated his life to his message because he had a world to save. This is the man who built a church out of our garage and turned it into this. Jesus with his bread is nothing compared to a handful of followers multiplied into a billion. A feat never heard of, fueled by faith, believing in me when I wasn't able to. I need a drink. So Hank takes us inside. Father beaming bright the first time he's ever heard my praise. Charles taught me three important lessons preparing me for this moment. When someone wrongs you, you cast judgment. Search for the absolute worst in a person and judge them by that. The safest form of vengeance is hurting others before they can hurt you. It looks like everyone inside and out is loving the speech, except the three unlucky fuckers in the second row. Darren's feed zooms in on them and I say, Today, there are sinners in my midst. Individuals who have committed crimes against me, but more importantly, crimes against humanity. Darren remains on the red shirts, the stone-faced gods surrounding them. I have judged them, and they will face the same ending as me. The roar outside sounds like bloodthirsty lions. Hank lowers our volume while Tommy shrugs off Janet's hand and tries to stand. William grabs his shirt and shoves him down on the kneeler, his howl finding a way through his gag. It is a shame, well, seeing how most are probably only guilty of the same thing I was, being tricked by a slick-tongued snake who's read too much Stephen King and his son, the serpent, whispering in his ear. Father shoots up. How dare you? Troy steps forward about ten feet in the pew behind him. Sit down. What? You sit down. Troy aims his three fifty seven at Father's chest. I won't tell you again. Jeremy takes the camera off me and steps out of the sanctuary. Hank switching to his feet because Darren is jumping all over. Raymond stands. What is this? 
He steps toward Troy. I didn't agree to Troy's bullet punches through Raymond's forehead. The big fucker thumping on the carpet before the rest of them know what's happened. Everyone disappears beneath their pews. Janet scrambles for the main entrance. No one stops her because it's locked. Jeremy yells at Darren, Get the fuck up and film! All I see of him is the tip of one shoe sticking out from the fifth row. Troy says, Do it now! The camera raises like a white flag. Jeremy says, You film these fuckers or you're next, understand? Darren aims his camera, nods over and over. Hank switches to show us his work. Jeremy sighs. You better breathe and calm the fuck down. Darren takes a deep, ragged breath, and Jeremy says, Not so goddamn loud. We knew someone was bound to get blasted, so we're prepared. Jeremy zooms in on Raymond, the carpet standing around his head. I'm glad it was Raymond. He was the first one Troy gave up after pulling me from the rubble. Look upon this man and look closely, I say. This is how we all end up, a pile of meat rotten on the floor. The sinners in this church will meet that end tonight. Father breaks his silence. Joshua, stop this. You cannot kill innocent men. My laugh scares me. No killing innocent men, says the tyrant, responsible for killing half this country. Father shrieks, you've gone insane. Quiet. My echo continues. In effect, Jeremy built into my mic for anything over a certain decibel. This is not a discussion. This is my turn to speak. I may not know the extent of the crimes committed by everyone here, but I do know yours. And even if some are innocent, you must remember your words. There are casualties. In every war. Only Father, Darren, and Janet cowering in the back entrance are visible. I say, Everyone on your knees. Troy, execute anyone who does not obey. Everyone listens. Jeremy says, Not you, Darren. Darren's feed stabilizes and Jeremy steps back into the sanctuary, a nasty smile behind his camera. To the whole world, I say, So listen to my message. Realize your sinful ways. You put your faith in a man who conspired with the President of the United States to deliver tainted vaccines designed to kill. Father shouts, That's a lie! Troy fires a bullet into the wood a few inches from Father's hand. Tommy goes for it, takes off down the aisle, makes it five feet before a bullet smacks his shoulder, knocks him face first on the carpet. His hand's behind his back. He's not going anywhere, but his screams are cutting through the gag until Troy walks up and shoots him in the back of his head. Hank puts clickable links on the screen. I say... Everything's documented. See the proof. Your president is a criminal. Charles Campbell is a criminal. I've no doubt father wants to hurl a string of obscenities to grab me by the throat and squeeze until the jugular pops, but Troy's back at his spot, his gun aimed right at father's face. I continue. 
You have all been compliant in your unquestioning support of an evil man, as have I. I am just as guilty if not more so. Someone shouts, stop, and messes up my train of thought. Paul stands, tears streaming down his face. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I beg forgiveness. Father pushes Paul out of the aisle. Judas! Troy orders Father back down with his gun, showing restraint, because I want Father alive as long as possible. This show is for him more than anyone else. He has to see this crumble. Paul gets to his feet in the aisle, bows his head. Please, Joshua, I accept my fate, but please grant me forgiveness. I ask, why should I? And hate, I've even given him that much. Because you're my brother. Not good enough. I didn't know about the bomb. I don't say anything because we hadn't confirmed his involvement either way. Jeremy says, fuck him. I agree, but I also know Paul would have never wanted any of this if he hadn't suffered the same father I did. Troy takes a step to the side but keeps his gun on Paul. Joshua? To me, Jeremy says, Don't let him. I pull the remote closer, put the gun where I can pick it right up. I say, Go ahead, but only to the door. Paul comes up, head bowed. Troy's gun swiveling back and forth. Jammy backs into the corner to my right to get a straight shot of the door. Paul steps on the boundary and Jeremy tells him, That's far enough. I reach for the gun because Paul's leaping for it. He's nails digging into my hand. I pull back my bleeding hand, not the gun. Paul aims at me. But Jeremy swings the camera like a baseball bat smacking his face. Paul's eyes go blank, his body falling the gun exploding like a cannon. Jeremy clutches his stomach and drops the camera, goes to his knees. He says, oh, fuck, with barely any breath behind it. My ears are ringing so loud I can't tell whether Troy fired another shot. I look up and see Troy crumpled on the stairs, father scrambling out of the pier with a gun he must have snuck in. Father runs past Troy and up the stairs. My gun is on the other side of the altar. Not likely I'd make it before father reaches the door. I grab the remote and plan to negotiate. But Father doesn't waste words firing from the doorway. The first bullet flies a few feet to my left, the second over my head, the third and fourth blow by my face. Father stops, glances at the gun, then at me, raises it slowly. Hold still, you backstabbing little bastard! His eyes are scarier than any demon's. The eyes of my every nightmare spit flies from his lip. You thought I would trust you? You think I'd let you sabotage my dreams? Up on the screen is an odd-angled shot of Father from the waist up, his arms shaken. Father turns to see what I'm smiling at, then whips back around and steps towards Jeremy, huddled in the corner, the camera balanced on his hip, his waist sopping wet with blood. Jeremy doesn't look away. He stares down the gun. Go ahead, Charles. Show the world who you really are. The boom makes me jump. The bullet shattering the camera. Father tells Jeremy, No, I say we keep it between us. I consider saying I'm miked, but it doesn't matter. Father fires. Jeremy screams, holds his knee. I had forgotten what I was holding, that I wasn't powerless, and I yell, Stop! 
Father glares at me and says, You don't talk. I hold up the remote, my thumb an inch above the button. It's hard to think over the noise Jim is making, but I say, You know what this is? Father checks over his shoulder. The screen shows Kent with Troy's gun, obvious whose side he's on. Father tells him, No one else comes in here. I point out, doesn't look like anyone was planning on it. Father looks at me like I'm an idiot. Did Paul look like he was planning on doing what he did? I lower my thumb just a bit, enough to make Father blink and step back to the doorway. Do I look like I'm going to do what I'm about to do? Father says, it's a bluff. Keeping his eyes on me, he shouts over his shoulder, William, get the authorities. Greg, make sure this level's clear. I don't mention him forgetting the paramedics for Paul and say, All the doors are locked. The elevator's disabled. Father yells for them to hurry, and they answer back exactly as I knew they would. I tell Father, I don't need to lie. Father raises his gun, and a blast blows him forward. He crashes into the altar, knocking the lost gospels to the floor not far from his gun. Both his hands are on the altar. He tries to push up, but can't. His blood pooling around him. There's a half-dollar-sized hole in his upper right back, his blood dribbling onto the carpet. I hadn't heard a second shot, but Kent's lying on the floor, a massive exit wound where he'd once had a face. I don't see my savior, but say, Thank you, Hank Spencer. I kneel beside Jeremy, who's barely breathing. His face scrunched up in agony, and he tells me, Nice job. But how about we call it a wrap? I lean over and kiss his forehead. And thank you, Jeremy Ludlow. I gather both guns and set them beside my throne. Paul still knocked out cold and father not going anywhere. I say, Darren, get up here, but not past the door. Darren jogs up the stairs, does exactly what I say, like he might still have a chance. Father's eyes are closed, so I give him a little slap, turn his head so he has to watch my final performance, and I say, And lastly, I'd like to thank those of you who voted in my favor, the few who acted as decent human beings. That quiets the crowd, but only for a second, followed by chants of 316 sounding from every direction. The plan was to give a speech about wrath and judgment and warn the people down below. But now it's my turn to say fuck them. I take Father's face so he knows what I have to say is aimed at him. All my life, I've wanted so desperately to tell you I ain't no Messiah. I never have been, never will be. But the truth is that there's only one way to find out for sure. I hold up the remote so Darren can zoom in on it. Before I press this button, let it be known that I, and I alone, am responsible for this. Don't let anyone tell you it was terrorist. No, this wasn't China or Russia or some Islamic group. There's no conspiracy theory here. Don't go looking for some bad guy who blew me up. This is my decision. This is my wrath. Hank switches the feed to the crowd at the base of the building. I say, 
It took my team of 12 most of the day to lace the thermite. If you don't want to be caught up in the explosion, I suggest you all run now. The chants abruptly stop, but there's a new kind of scream, panic as everyone pushes back from the building, trampling one another. Father reaches out his hand, too weak to hold it up. Don't, Joshua. Jeremy whispers. Do it. I say, goodbye, and press the button. Nothing happens, so I hit it again, and again. One tremendous boom after another rocks the building, knocking me off my feet and onto my throne. The booms kept coming closer and closer. A thousand cracks run through the glass roof. Everything is planned. There's a huge jolt and my world starts to tilt instead of free-falling. I hold the edge of the altar to get out of the throne. The church and the rest of Building 7 are gone straight down in the controlled demolition. But I'm still too high, falling away. The elevator breaking off, something we'd never considered. Oh, shit. We're picking up speed, my feet standing on the throne as I scramble on the altar, ashamed to be holding on for my life beside Father who's facing the window, screaming the whole way. My throne breaks off the floor and knocks out the bullet-riddled window. There's water below us, but we're fucking flying. My feet hanging in the air, the altar breaking loose. We're going to hit, and I hope this is it. But I hold tight, letting go at the last second. I slice through the water, my feet shattering on the lake's concrete bottom. My body rises to the surface despite my best efforts. My wish for something like the altar to pin me down. I don't want to come up. I don't want to breathe, but I have no choice. Fuck. Maybe I am the Messiah. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.